0: Well oh. Hello again and uh, obviously we're continuing in our mini-series in uh, the Psalms and this evening uh, we are looking at Psalm 32 obviously and this is a Psalm of David and uh, this Psalm was written some time after he'd committed his sin with Bathsheba and um, put Uriah to death and I believe he wrote this Psalm well after that sin and it's at a time when he was able to reflect on not just what happened and everything that went wrong in him trying to cover up that sin but also he was able to reflect on God's love his grace and his forgiveness which was just poured out upon him so abundantly and uh, I believe that Psalm 51 was actually written before Psalm 32 and one of the things that uh, David said in Psalm 51 hello Houston If you can just click to the next one for me, that would be swell. (laughs) This is one of the things that David said in Psalm 51. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. And in this Psalm, we have read this evening, David is fulfilling what he's already declared in this Psalm 51. It's like he's... um, saying that God has restored my joy. God has actually done that for me. And because he's done that, because I now understand the joy of my salvation, um, I want to tell others about this. So he's experienced this great forgiveness in God. And David's actions relating to Bathsheba had caused him to sacrifice his peace with God, his joy with God, his contentment in God, and his security in God for that brief moment of pleasure. And it's one of the things that was hammered home to us as we went through Bible college. Don't go there for five minutes of pleasure. You ruin your entire life. And that's what David did. He just had this brief, brief fleeting moment of pleasure and uh, suffered so much as a result. What he did was a selfish act. It was something for himself. He hadn't thought about God. He didn't think about what would happen as a consequence to himself. He didn't think about what would happen to Bathsheba. He didn't think about what would happen to Uriah. And he certainly didn't think about the fact that his actions were totally against God and that it would ultimately affect his relationship with God. But in this psalm we've read this evening, this psalm 32, we can hear the joy that David has experienced in knowing he is forgiven. And he wants those who read this psalm to learn from his experience. And his purpose is to encourage others to not forsake God, but to come to him, humbly confessing our sins, trusting God, willingly drawing near to him. And in doing so, We get to experience a clear conscience. We get to experience the refuge and protection of God. We get to experience his clear guidance and instruction and the joy of forgiveness and all that that means. Let's pause and pray. Father God, I thank you again for the power of your word. I thank you for how clearly it speaks to us. And I pray for open hearts, open minds to what you have to say to each of us this evening. Father, forgive me. When I haven't honored and glorified you. Forgive me when I've gone against your will and purpose. And use me to touch someone's life tonight, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. It's interesting when you talk to people about sin or when you talk to people about guilt and you're speaking to them about that and perhaps it's becoming a little bit pointed about something they need to deal with in their life. And we have a tendency now to push back. Uh, There's not many people who are willing to accept that they could actually be wrong in a particular situation. And we've got to ask the question, well, what happened to guilt? This is something that comes up in Scripture. This is something that we're told about. What happened to confession? And I'm not talking about the Catholic Church-type confession. But confession is something that should be a part of our Christian walk. It should be something that we do on a regular basis. But we have this habit now of mixing grace with tolerance. Christianity has become a free-for-all faith. There's no sacrifice. There's no cost. There's no need to obey God. That's the way it is perceived and seen. as a faith where there's no consequences, there's no accountability, even if we blatantly disobey God's commands and word. And the problem is anyone who says anything different to that is called a bigot, they're called judgmental, they're called self-righteous. But this is contained in God's word. We are living in very dangerous times as believers, there's those obvious attacks that, attacks that come against us as Christians. But I think our greatest opposition, the thing we should fear most, are the subtleties. Those things that we're tolerating and accepting and making out that sin is okay. And when we get to that point, we forfeit the grace and blessing that could be ours. If we were to repent. And David knows this. He speaks first and foremost about the blessing of a clear conscience that we have in repentance. And I'm not sure when when we talk about King David, obviously he has been a bit pointed in the last couple of weeks. But when we talk about King David, I'm not sure what you think about him. And uh, he is considered the greatest theocratic king. And basically what that means is that he is the one man who ruled in the name of God. He was obedient to God. He was a great intercessor between the people and God. He was like a high priest. And so he's held up as being this great theocratic king. And I have to be honest, that's how I think of David. I think of the incredible things that he did for God. But he was also a great sinner. And... That's perhaps something that I don't think about much when it comes to King David. I'm not about you. I'm not sure about you, sorry. But he considered this he 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 committed this great sin. But the thing is, he knew forgiveness in a very real and powerful way because of how he treated that sin. And so we come to the passage tonight, and he says, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and whose spirit there is no deceit. And I love the way that he wrote this. He uses four different words to describe sin. He uses those words in how we constantly fail. And he wants us to be aware that there's all these things that we do, but all in all, it's all sin. It is all opposed to God, and we need to repent of it. And so he speaks about transgressions. And this basically means to step over a boundary or cross a line. This is open rebellion against God's commands. It's willingly disobeying what we know to be true. It's a refusal to submit to God's rightful authority in our life. Now, just think about that. If you're doing anything in your life that you know is not true, then you are transgressing. If you are not obeying God in some area of your life, you are transgressing. And then he speaks of sin. And this literally means to miss the mark. This is an archery term. So when they fire for the target and the arrow drops short, that's what's been spoken about there. This is falling short of God's intention for man. And this is... We're naturally bent towards evil, unfortunately. It's It's about sin distorting the truth. Oh, sorry. Um... It's the term that's used for a defect and it's a falling short of perfection as God would have us to do. And then he speaks of iniquity and iniquity is this bent or crooked uh, way and it brings to mind uh, those things that have been warped and distorted. This speaks of the nature of man which is bent toward evil and it's about sin which distorts the truth or distorts that which is right. And the final word that he uses is deceit. And it's a reference to to that which is dishonest and deceptive. It's about deliberately covering up something. Falsehood, hypocrisy, even presenting a false front, making people believe you're someone who you actually are, not making people believe that uh, you're in a better mood than you actually are. That can be considered a sin of deceit. And as David speaks about these types of sins, he wants to emphasize to those who sing this psalm or who read it that there's a way out. And so for each and every sin that is mentioned in this passage of scripture, there's a word that is counter to it. So when he talks about transgressions, he says that they can be forgiven. And the word that is used in here for forgiven, it means to lift up or carry away. And so sin is a burden upon man and and God carries it. He takes it from us and it's no longer a burden for us when we come to him in repentance. When he talks about sin, he says it can be covered. And the word means to conceal or to put out of sight. It means that once we repent of our sin, God is going to put it away. He is not going to mention that anymore. He will remember it no longer. Our sin is covered. And for us as Christians, uh, this side of the cross, we can say our sin is covered in the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Then he mentions iniquity, and he says that the Lord will not count it against us. It is literally that the debt has been paid. It is not going in the books. There's not a debt that has to be paid back because of Jesus Christ. Uh, That has been paid for full. in, In a full account, there's nothing left to hold against us. The books are clean. And when he speaks of deceit, he says we can be free of it. There is no deceit in us. And as such, we can be open and honest with our Lord. And David knew the blessing of forgiveness because he understood the enormity of his sin. And I think when we look back to Psalm 51, we see this in verse 4 Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. When David says this, it's not the fact that he didn't harm or hurt anyone fiz- like anyone. Else, But what he realizes is when he looks at how he has sinned against God, that becomes so much more serious than how he has sinned against man. And so the sin against man fades in his relationship with God. And off the back of that, David comes to understand the incredible grace, the incredible love, the incredible forgiveness that can be his and can be any persons if they'd simply come to God and seek that forgiveness. And we're on this side of the cross. David was before the cross, obviously. And we've experienced the forgiveness of Jesus. We are washed in his blood, his death upon the cross, where he took my sin upon himself, paid the price once and for all. All sins for all men for all time. And all I have to do is acknowledge that all I have to do is accept him as my Lord and saviour. And once I do that and come to him and ask for forgiveness, I can experience the same forgiveness that David did. The blessing and joy of a clear conscience. No sin hanging over me. But it doesn't stop there. When we confess our sins, knowing that all our sins can be forgiven, then God becomes our refuge. When we look at verse four of this psalm, we hear, David saying this, for day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as the heat of summer. And so God was pressing in upon him. But that all changes when David confesses his sin. And we see that in verses six and seven. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. And David goes from being oppressed by God in that verse 4 to calling him his hiding place. And he wants to teach us something important here. When we're aware of our sins, there's this urgency to come to God. David says, come to God when he may be found, while he may be found. If God is prompting you about sin, anyone, don't put it off. Don't wait. Don't look for another opportunity. Come to him run to him, seek his forgiveness and don't delay. There is a flood coming, a rush of great waters and there's many ways that they interpret this but the thing is in all of those cases if your relationship with God is not sorted when that rushing water hits how are you possibly going to stand? And the answer is you won't. But those who've sought the Lord, those who've confessed their sin, those who've experienced his forgiveness They will find a hiding place in him. They will stand on that firm foundation, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. God will guard and protect them. He is the great protector. He is faithful. He will do it. In our sin, we're running from God. We're disobeying him. We're moving further and further away. But in the midst of forgiveness, we run to him, knowing that only in him is true safety and security. And I read an illustration, which I've experienced myself many times. Has anyone been in bushfires or anything like that? Totally terrifying things. I remember being a big one on Tamperine. We were standing in the forest and the fire just went poof, 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 over the top. That was the tops of the trees exploding. And then the ground fire came through after that. It's a terrifying experience. It's like a Russian freight train. But the one thing that can save you is another fire. And so you light a fire and the fire burns ahead of you. And then before the fire comes, you can stand on the burnt ground and you're safe. And in our context, Jesus did that for us. Still got burnt. Jesus got burnt. But he got burnt for us. He took our sin upon himself so we could stand on the burnt ground, the holy ground that Jesus made. And we were untouched because we call him our Lord and Savior. I wonder if we dwell upon the truths of Scripture. When we're in a right relationship with God, do you consider the blessing it is that nothing can snatch us away from Him, that we are secure in Him, that He holds us fast to Himself, that no matter what it is, we will never be separated from God, we'll never be separated from His love. He is constant and true. He is so willing to protect us. And then in the midst of forgiveness, we're also blessed because of his instructions for us. And this is another benefit of his forgiveness. We will know his instruction for us. It says in verse 8, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. He watches us. And those who constantly return to God, repenting of sin and asking him for his forgiveness, will have a sensitivity to him. That sensitivity will continue to grow. It is God who makes us aware of sin. And if we respond to those promptings, we'll become more and more sensitive to those promptings and to his voice. We will grow in our relationship with him. We will understand scripture so much more. We will see more of his Word speaking to us. We will change our lives in order to draw closer to him because of those promptings. And we'll experience his direction and teaching so much more powerfully. And those who've walked with Christ for some time will be able to testify to that, to you. It's an incredible experience to know his direction and guidance. But there's also a warning. Don't be like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bitten bridle or will not stay near you. We have to come to him willingly. He's not going to force you to follow him. He's not going to put that bit and bridle upon you to pull you to him. You have to go of your own free will. You have to desire to be with him. We always have choices. And so when we hear that voice of God, when we sense that prompting to turn away from sin, are we going to obey that or are we going to turn away just as a donkey or a mule or a horse would? There's many people who say, well, I respond to God, but then he did this. Or I'll respond to God when he does that. Or if God does this, then I will do this. But this passage of scripture says it's up to you. When God prompts you, you need to respond willingly and favorably towards him. Don't expect to be led to God with a bitten bridle. on basically having God or another mediator take you to him against your will, you need to come to him of your own will. It's only when you soften your heart to the things of God that he'll be able to direct you in the way that you should go. And I have to ask, are you open and sensitive to the things of God? Or are you still determined to go your own way and do your own thing? Anyone who truly understands God's grace and forgiveness Will no longer sin deliberately. They won't be controlled by sin, but they'll be controlled by God. And the final blessing mentioned in this psalm is the blessing of God's joy. These last two verses of the psalm contrast those who have not experienced forgiveness and those who have. And we read, many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. And when Scripture speaks of the wicked, we need to keep in mind that it's speaking of those who do not know God as a whole. So when we read things like verse 10 here, I have to think about it. I mean, seriously, do you know people who are not Christians who seem joyful and happy and content? And I suppose as good Christians, we'd go, nah. But of course there is. There's people who are very content with the way that they're living their lives. They see no need for Jesus because they have all that they want. And so how does this verse relate to people like that? And these guys are very contented with what they have. But what we need to think of here is that they're not thinking eternally they're not thinking about the fact that they will stand before the Lord one day and then they will bow to him and declare him as Lord and Savior do you think they're going to be happy or miserable on that day I think they're going to be incredibly sorrowful I think they're going to be incredibly remorseful and those people even here on earth I don't know what they think happens after this life so many of them I mean, I've spoken to some people who were like this, and I've said, so so what comes after this life? Because they're so happy and content here. They said, nothing, we just go to sleep, and that's the end of it. I was like, seriously? Really? And and so I don't know whether they're just trying to push down. The reality is there, but the truth is, they don't have the joy, the hope, and the security of knowing that there's a life after this one that eternity has begun for us and we just cross this barrier which is called death and we're in the very presence of God afterwards. I have to tell you, some people may experience joy and contentment in the here and now without knowing Jesus, but it's fleeting when you think of eternity. And if they don't come into a saving knowledge of the Lord, Jesus Christ, they will experience great sorrow and regret. But David said those who trust in the Lord will be surrounded with his steadfast love. Steadfast love. That's a love that is never changing. That's a love that can be counted on. That's a love that is sure and true. It doesn't mean we're not going to sin. But what it does mean is we trust God. I've been in more jobs than I can count these days, I think. One of the jobs when I was about these young people's age... I was a, a department manager in Big W. And uh, part of my role there was as a security officer, so we apprehended shoplifters. And uh, there was this one girl that we apprehended, and um, she had stolen so much stuff, we had no choice but to actually um, charge her, um, bring the police in. And uh, I remember that we called her mother, and. I don't know, you seem to get a bit of an eye for these types of things. And and this girl was obviously not someone who would normally do this. And uh, I, I was quite surprised. I went out to the mother. The mother was very upset. And I went out and I spoke to her. And I said, look, if it's any consolation, it's obvious your daughter doesn't normally do this sort of stuff. And she begged me, she said, is there any way that we can just do this quietly? And I said, I'm sorry, there's not. She's just taken far too much and we went up to the office where we were holding her before the police arrived and the mother went into that room and she screamed at her daughter get on your feet and the security officer went to stand between them and I just grabbed her because I knew what was coming and the mother just embraced her she said I love you we'll get through this I love you And for me, that's just a graphic image of what Jesus Christ does for us. That's just a graphic image of what God does for us. He hates our sin. You've got to get that in your heads. He hates it. But he is never going to reject you if he comes to you. If you come to him, sorry. He's going to have his arms open wide and he's going to welcome you back and he's going to say, I love you. That love is steadfast. It is unconditional. And it is constant and true. He loves you. And this is what brings joy to David. He committed this terrible sin, and yet because of God's great mercy towards sinners, he knows total forgiveness. He's free from the weight of all of his sin, free from guilt, free from condemnation. And he declares that there's no greater joy than knowing that our sins are forgiven. Think this through. God blesses us with a clear conscience by being our refuge, by instructing us and with his joy. It all comes from forgiveness. And I want to ask you, do you remember the first time that you made that prayer, when you prayed that prayer that Jesus would forgive you of your sin? Do you remember the joy that just welled up inside you? I'm not sure if that's what it was like for you, but it was like that for me. I actually thought I was Superman. I thought if I jumped off a high rise building at that time, nothing would happen. I'd be safe. I was just so overjoyed with what Christ has done for me. That's the type of joy we're talking about. Where has that gone in our lives? Why don't we just come back to Christ and ask for forgiveness constantly? Why don't we do this? When there was a barrier of sin between David and God, David feared him. But once that was removed, David rejoiced in God and all the blessings were poured out upon him from God. The turning point came in verse Five. I acknowledged my sin to you I did not cover my iniquity I confessed my transgressions to you Lord David admits he's wrong that he has done things which are against God and in the midst of that experience David goes on in verse 6 to say to you and me, that we should pray to God while he may be found. And I believe this is a heartfelt appeal by David. He has seen firsthand what happens to people who harden their hearts against God. And I know we'll say that we won't ever harden our hearts to God, but there are not many people who do so intentionally, not at the start. Their hardening begins by refusing to listen to God when they hear them. They, they want to continue doing the thing that they enjoy. It's about them. It's not about God. And as they continue to go down that path, they move further and further away from God and slowly his voice becomes more and more quiet and their hearts are hardened towards him. Part of that hardening is choosing to live the way we want, choosing not to honour God, but he's calling us to confess. What does that mean for us? I think it means we've got to face our sin head on. And we've got to call it what it is. We shouldn't make excuses. We shouldn't try and explain why we did what we did. And we should just accept that what we've done is against God. David's sin was extensive and terrible. Do you know what his confession was? I've sinned against the Lord that's all we've got recorded for his confession but he was forgiven because this was heartfelt that's all it took and as a result of this confession he experienced a clear conscience the joy of God's forgiveness very simple words but heartfelt no beating about the bush he called it what it was and he acknowledged it before God When was the last time you repented? When's the last time you confessed? Think again about that first time you did it, when you've experienced the joy of being forgiven. That first time you've realised and acknowledged that your sin was nailed to the cross with the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we close, grow closer to God, our eyes should be opened more and more to the seriousness of our sin. We should realize that sin damages our relationship with God. It brings shame on his name. It damages the church. It affects our brothers and sisters around us and it hurts others. And we should want nothing to do with it. And you've heard me say it before, I'll say it again. We should hate sin. We're told to put it to death. And I can't put to death something I don't hate. But that's how we should treat our sin. And and if we don't hate sin, are you even following Jesus? Seriously. But I want you to understand whatever you've done, however you've moved away from Jesus, he can forgive you. And he will forgive you. You may think that you've walked too far from him, but that isn't true. He waits with arms outstretched, ready to welcome you. So ready to forgive. And sin deceives us. There'll be people who are sitting here tonight hearing my voice saying that that isn't you. You don't need to worry. I'm not speaking to you. God's not speaking to you. This isn't from Holy Spirit. Just ignore it. What you do doesn't hurt anyone else. It's actually okay. Okay. But sin's a great deceiver, and that is sin speaking to you. That's not God. And you need to put it to death. You need to hate it, and you need to come to him. When we confess our sin, it's gone. There's no more deception. We won't be deceived by it again. And you'll stop covering up your sin. Do we want to be free of sin? Do we want to get over being held back by that? It begins here. It begins now. And true freedom is only found in Christ. John one one nine sorry, one John one nine says, if we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And 2 Corinthians 7:10 says, "Godly sorrow brings repentance, repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regrets, but worldly sorrow brings death." God's calling. He wants us to repent. He wants us to confess our sins. He wants to draw us closer to his side. But you've got to do it willingly. No one can force you. Will you come to Jesus tonight? Let me pray. Father God, I thank you for the power of your word. I thank you for how you've spoken to me again through this incredible psalm. Thank you for the joy that King David experienced when he came to you, acknowledging that he had sinned against you, Lord, and seeking your forgiveness. Thank you, Lord, you didn't gloss over this in your word. It'd be so great to have scriptures full of heroes but lord he is a hero because he did what was necessary in order to draw closer to you father i pray for each and every one of us that we will come and confess and repent before you if that's what's required and that lord this will be an ongoing thing where you make us aware of every sin and we willingly lay that at your feet and ask for your forgiveness Thank you again for the gift of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you. I cannot outsin the cross. Let us all be aware of that, Lord. And let us be willing to take the steps we need. In Jesus' name, amen.